Welcome to the True Crime Cafe. I'm Angie. I'm Becky. And you won't believe the case I have for you today. What do you have for me today? So, Angie, what do a list of clown sightings, the plan, and a drive through restaurant all have in common? A list of clown sightings? Yeah. Yep. And what the, else? The clan and a drive through restaurant. I have absolutely no clue. They're all details related to this week's episode, which I'm calling the case of the killer clown. Oh, Lord. You ready? Yep. <laughs> Strap in. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going back in time to 1987. Down in Florida, Sheila met a man named Richard Keene. And meeting him unlocked her inner wild child. Aside from a shoplifting charge, which was under $100, and she got probation and just had to pay restitution, her record was pretty clean. And a woman who was in jail for drug trafficking who knew Richard compared Sheila's appearance to country western singer Crystal Gale. Now, okay. yeah, so for any listeners who are not familiar with her, Crystal Gale was known for her long, dark hair. And in the 80s, it reached floor length. And I'm pretty sure now it's still like past her knees. But Sheila also had really long, dark hair and kind of bore resemblance to her. And when Sheila was in her late teens, Richard was dating one of her cousins and Sheila stole him. Uh-uh. Yeah. Someone who knew Sheila and Richard described them as loving to live rich. They like to drive big cars. They like to wear really fine clothes. So before Sheila was born... When Richard was 22, because he was a bit older, he was a director of the United Clan of America. And before he hooked up with Sheila, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison in Georgia for trafficking marijuana after a shootout with authorities on a rural Georgia airstrip named Dog Patch. So Richard and another man were convicted. The two were moved to a jail in another county. And a Ben Hill County Sheriff's Department spokesperson was quoted in a Georgia newspaper as saying, we need to feel like we had enough security to keep them in our jail. <laughs> yeah. And a man who asked to remain anonymous said, you don't get the reputation that Richard got from being a good boy and passing out cookies. <laughs> so you see why <laughs> Sheila's parents were against her relationship with Richard. I can see that. Right? But she was stubborn, and they knew they could not stop their teenage daughter from being with this older man. Because let's be honest. Yeah. We can try, we try our best to parent teenagers. Teenagers, yeah. um, for the most part, are going to do yep. what they think they can get away with. Yeah. <laughs> and if you absolutely. tell them not to do something, then they're going to like, go out and want to do it more. Yeah, it's like telling them to do it. It's like that little uh, lobster set of the Little Mermaid. You give them an inch and they walk all over you. Uh-huh. Yep. Sheila's parents, they knew they could not stop this from happening. So when Sheila was in her late teens and early 20s, Richard served two years of time across four jails in Georgia. Oh. And anytime he was in jail, Sheila would sell watches and other things at flea markets to support herself. But she was pretty enterprising. One of Sheila's past boyfriends said she stayed with Richard just like True Blue. And about a year after Richard made his parole, that's when Sheila had her shoplifting charge. Okay. She got about $77 worth of stuff from a mall, I think. I think it was like a shopping mall. But okay. then in 1987, Sheila and Richard got married. 
She was about 24 by this time, and she was pregnant. Uh-huh. In 1988, by this time, they have a son. Uh-huh. So Sheila walks into Paul's Parts and Equipment in Pahokee wearing a clown costume for just for a party. And it was to, it was like they were having like an employee family day from the sounds of it. Okay. And she went in just to help entertain. Okay. Her son was there. He was, you know, just still really young. And it was just a fun thing. So let's jump forward a couple of years to May 24th, 1990. Okay. And this is all going to come together, I promise. So on May 24th, 1990, a customer showed up at a Florida costume shop and begged to be let in right around closing time. It didn't sound like they stayed open more like too long past dinner time. So it's probably like six in the evening, somewhere in there. The customer, who was a woman, urgently told two clerks that she needed a clown suit, an orange wig, white gloves, a red nose, and enough white makeup to cover up her face completely. But she did not want the floppy shoes. That has no bearing on this episode, but I just thought that was weird. Like, why would you get all the clown stuff and not the floppy shoes? Like, they make the costume, right? Mm-hmm. So May 26, 1990. Do you remember where you were on this day? May 26, 1990. Mm-hmm. 1990, I was, hold on, 13. So just finishing middle school, I believe. Um, I remember because that was the day before my high school graduation. Okay. Right at the end of the school year. It was a Saturday. I was looking forward to getting a summer job to hold me over until I started college that fall. And I was living in my own little bubble. And even if I had heard about any of this on the news, I would not have really given it much thought because let's face it, I was pretty self-centered at the time. I was just focused on my own thing. Mm-hmm. So down in West Palm Beach, Florida, on the same day, May 26, 1990, a 40-year-old woman named Marlene Warren was home. Her husband, Michael, was on his way to a Miami racetrack where he was going to spend the day about an hour from their home. And she was finishing breakfast with her son, Joe, and some of his friends. Articles I found in my research fluctuate whether he was 20 or 22, but either way, he was a young adult. I believe he was 20. Yeah. I've seen a show. Yeah. Probably on ID channel. Probably. (laughs) About this case that you're speaking of. So... Yeah, so either way, he was a young adult. And I think the show said he was 20. I think most newspapers said he was 22. But either way, he said he and his mom were best friends. And he described her as an angel. And he said it was just a typical Saturday. Some of his friends were over. They were planning out what they were going to do for the day. And I, you know, that, when I read that, it kind of felt kind of close to home. Because that's how I would spend my Saturdays. You know, my husband's normally here, you know. But my kids Mm -hmm. are both young adults. And we're usually having brunch together, you know, sitting around the table, talking. What are your plans? Same kind of thing. Very normal. Mm Mm-hmm. So Marlene buried her husband, Michael, when Joe was six. And in the time since, Joe has lost his biological dad and his brother. It sounds like just natural causes. So, mm-hmm. But it made his relationship with his mom that much more important to him. While they're finishing up breakfast, a white Chrysler LeBaron, missing its license plate, pulled up and parked alongside the sidewalk outside of their home which was in the exclusive Aereo Club neighborhood in Wellington. I used to live there. Well, Wellington, not necessarily that yeah. neighborhood. So are you familiar with Aereo Club neighborhoods? Uh, Yes, actually I am. Cool. I had never heard of them until my kids got into 
airplanes, like mm -hmm. like we'd have to go to air shows, they have to do this. And when we were moving a couple of years ago, one of their like wish lists was to live in an aerial club neighborhood. And it's like, why? We don't have a pilot. Nobody in our family has a pilot's license or a plane. So, mm -hmm. but they lived in one of these neighborhoods and weather reports from that day say it was warm with possible showers, but that's typical Florida weather for that kind of year or pretty much any time of year. It's Florida. It's always warm with mm -hmm. possible showers. When I lived in Florida, mm -hmm. in Wellington, mm -hmm. you could guarantee four o'clock every day, every afternoon yeah. it was going to rain. Like you yeah. could set your watch by it. Yeah. We honeymooned in Florida, about a, but we put it off our honeymoon to about a year after we got married. And so we went to Florida for like 10 days. And yeah, every at, like at some point every day in Florida, it, it showered. So so a person stepped out of the Chrysler LeBaron and they were wearing an orange clown wig, a red nose, a multicolored clown outfit, they had on the white gloves, they had on the face paint, and they were carrying a flower arrangement and two balloons. One balloon, and I've seen the pictures from the crime scene. So one balloon had a scene from Snow White and Seven Forks, and the other balloon said, you're the greatest. And Marlene opened the door, and the clown handed over the gifts, and some reports quote Marina saying something like, oh, how pretty. And then the clown pulled out a gun and shot Marlene in the mouth. One article said the autopsy report showed the killer shot her in the lip, but I mean, lip, mouth, it's the same area yeah. of the face. Marlene's son and his friends saw this happen. A couple of them said they heard two shots. Joe later said they thought that the noise sounded like the balloon popping, but they saw Marlene fall to the ground. Joe and his friends agreed that the clown never said anything. The clown just laid the flowers, the balloons down, and walked away. And from the crime scene photos, it looks like the balloons were tied to one of those plastic weight things because they, okay. they still had helium in them during in the yeah. crime scene photos. So Joe told investigators that after seeing his mother fall, he rushed to the door in time to see the clown turn and look at him before getting the car and driving away. Joe said the clown walked like a man and had dark brown eyes. He really couldn't confirm male or female. It was just, you know, you're in a clown suit. At this point, Marlene was critically injured, but she was still alive. In a 2017 interview with Bill Kramer, a neighbor of Marlene and Michael's, he said he was walking his dog when he heard what sounded like a nail gun, the kind used in construction. Mm -hmm. He said some very excited young people came running out of the house saying something on the order of they've shot Joey's mother. And he said he and his wife were like, stay there. We'll call 911. So Joe later said it was like someone ripped his heart and soul from his body. I cannot mm -mm. even imagine mm -mm. what that poor kid went through. Mm -mm. And yeah, young adult, still a kid. So the flowers were white carnations that came in a wicker basket with a red plaid cloth. And they were arranged in what was called a Memorial Day arrangement manufactured by Florimar in Miami and sold locally at a grocery store, according to what the detectives discovered. So you know how the kitchens have like a bar area with bar stools on one side? Mm -hmm. So Marlene and Mike's house had one of those, but it wasn't too far from the front door if I was looking at the pictures correctly. So it makes sense that if they were sitting at that bar, they would have seen everything. Mm -hmm. And if someone came to my door with this, I would totally think it was just a gift from someone. I would maybe expect the clown to sing a telegram. Investigators learned that the arrangement came from a public grocery store less than a mile from the crime scene. And it was purchased about 90 minutes before the shooting. So the cost of the flowers 
and balloons was under 16 bucks and the buyer paid with $100 in cash. So I'm guessing a $100 bill. Okay. By the next day, the investigators are questioning suspects. Some woman made an anonymous call to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office on the day of the shooting. One article said it came in the afternoon. Some one said it came right before the shooting. But everything I read agreed that the caller said, Marlene Warren was just shot and detectives might want to question Sheila Keene and Mike Warren. Mm -hmm. So day after the shooting, they're questioning Sheila, who is now 27 years old. Mm -hmm. And she is estranged from her 46-year-old husband, Richard. So Sheila and Richard worked for Marlene and Mike by repossessing cards. Richard told detectives that Sheila had left him a few months earlier and he heard she was having an affair with his former friend and business acquaintance, Michael Warren, Marlene's husband. Mm-mm. Richard also said he was not upset with either of them. According to a search warrant, Sheila did all the work after she and Richard separated from like repossessing cars, any of the work around the car dealerships. Mm-hmm. And Richard also told investigators that Sheila asked him if she had seen a 38 revolver that she had misplaced about a month prior. That was the same caliber of gun used to kill Marlene Warren, according to investigators. Mm-hmm. So someone from the costume shop on South Dixie Highway also caught investigators. And they related the sale that I described earlier. One of the clerks identified Sheila in the lineup, while the other one said maybe it could be Sheila, but she wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. When the detectives interviewed Sheila, she denied having a clown costume in her possession, shopping at Publix that Saturday, or having an affair with Michael Warren. Sheila told detectives that on May 26, 1990, she was looking for cars to repossess in Lake Worth of Boynton Beach and Riviera Beach, but she couldn't provide any addresses or descriptions of the cars she planned to repossess. When news of this case broke, some people had trouble believing that Sheila could be involved, including one of her cousins who told the Palm Beach Post in 1990 that Sheila was too sweet to have been involved in the murder case. Investigators had a search warrant and would go on to discover fibers inside Sheila's home that appeared to have come from a clown wig, but they never found a murder weapon. So no arrests were made. And remember, she had a history of dressing as a clown for events where kids, including her son, were present. So... She could explain everything away at this point. Okay. According to court records, Sheila said she heard the rumors that she and Michael were having an affair, but she said they were just good friends. Two of Sheila's neighbors, on the other hand, told detectives that they saw Michael Warren and Sheila Keene together at her apartment on Sable Pine Circle so often that they thought they were a married couple. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had no idea Marie needed existed. Wow. The court records say that Michael was there numerous times during the week and at all hours of the day. The apartment was just 17 miles from the crime scene. Some of Michael's employees told investigators that they had seen Michael and Sheila making out in his office. Detectives would later learn that Michael and Sheila frequently took long lunches together and that Michael Warren began paying Sheila Keene's rent when she separated from her then-husband in January 1990 after filing a domestic violence complaint against him. So Michael Warren had been paying Sheila's rent for at least four months when the shooting happened. In a different article, I read that Sheila and Richard's son stayed with Richard and not Sheila. 
So I'm not sure what happened for her to get that freedom. I don't know if he did like Richard demand custody or what. And I I didn't dig that deep and really don't want to speculate mm-hmm. on it, but it sounds like there's some state with Richard. Okay. So two days after the shooting, it was a Monday, and unfortunately, Marlene passed away. Mm. After she was pronounced dead at Palm West Hospital, her family came forward to say that she had told them if anything ever happened to her, that her husband did it. Hmm. Right now, Michael has never been arrested in connection to her death, although witnesses say that at the time leading up to her death, he was asking stuff like, what would happen to a woman's estate if her husband killed her, and questions like that. Okay, because that's not suspicious. No, I mean, I don't think he's a mystery author, because that would be one way to explain it away. So Marlene's son, Joe, was interviewed by 48 Hours in 2018, And in that interview, he says he remembers the day of his mother's murder as being one of the worst days of his life. One of the detectives encouraged him not to give up hope and said they would find the killer no matter how long it took. But until the arrest was made, nobody could guess just how long that would be. And I'll share a more current update about Joe later, but for now, I'm going to stick to the timeline and we're going to jump to May 30th, 1990, four days after the shooting, when the car was found. So... On May 30th, the Royal Palm Beach Police discovered a 1990 white Chrysler LeBaron at a Winn-Dixie store. It had uh-huh. been reported stolen from a bargain auto rentals in West Palm Beach. State records show that Michael and Marlene Warren worked as the president and director of that business. Orange fibers, similar to those in the wig purchased before the murder, were also found in the car. And a brown paper bag from Publix was found in the trunk. So Marlene's husband, Michael, was 38 at the time. So he was two years younger than his wife. And he Uh was clueless about who could have done this. When investigators questioned him about any affairs, he said there weren't any, which was the same thing Sheila said. Well, duh, like they're going to admit it? Mm Mm-hmm. Michael told detectives that he and his wife had a good relationship, even though his employees and Maureen's family said that Maureen had been threatening to divorce him over several affairs and a beating she said he administered the a year before. Michael's employees told detectives that he said he would never divorce his wife because she would get half of everything he owned. Mm-hmm. Michael was in the car business, as we've established, and Marlene managed rental properties the couple had acquired during their years of marriage. So at first, this obviously made Michael a primary suspect in her murder, because Mm -hmm. if they divorced, you know, he was going to lose out on a small fortune, because the couple's properties and businesses were valued at around a million dollars, and this was 30 years ago. And I didn't do the dollar-to-dollar conversion, but let's just say that, like, right now, Gas in my town is like $3.30 a gallon. And back then, it was like $0.89 a gallon. I miss those days when you, <laughs> you could fill up your gold. gas tank for like freaking $10. Right? And get a, you know, cheeseburger from McDonald's for like $0.50. Cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those were the days. So I'm not sure how, you know, it all came out. But the police did discover that Michael was having an affair with Sheila. But, you know, if the neighbors were that quick to speak up and the employees, it you know, it didn't take a rocket science to figure it out. I'm just saying it doesn't sound like they were trying real hard to hide it. So a month before Marlene was shot, Michael seemed to be getting tired of Sheila. He is spending less time with her because she would barge into his businesses and try to boss his employees around. And one article I read said 
Michael complained that Shayla was acting too much like a wife and she had to go. Unfortunately, according to the South Florida Sun Sentinel, although investigators did find evidence of the affair, they could not prove that Michael and Shayla were involved in the murder because there just wasn't enough evidence. So let's jump to October, five months later. Okay. Michael turns himself over to the sheriff's deputies because he and one of his employees were charged with operating a chop shop, which is stolen mm. parts from stolen vehicles and mm-hmm. stealing cars to collect on insurance claims. So for these charges, his bail initially set at $500,000 was lowered to half that and then eventually to $50,000 and he was released. Four years later, he was convicted of racketeering, grand theft, and an odometer tampering. According to the Associated Press, he served about four years in a minimum security state prison at the Homestead Correctional Institution, and he was released on New Year's Eve, 1997. So in 1999, investigators finally named Sheila as their main suspect, but they still did not have the evidence they needed to arrest her. And by this time, Michael had received about $53,000 as the beneficiary of his wife's insurance, and he owned everything just by himself. Back in 1991, an inmate in Maine confessed that he had killed Marlene, but he revealed that he was just trying to escape the electric chair. Unfortunately, he was lying. He didn't really do it. In 2000, the Miami Herald reported that investigators said they hoped the orange fibers and brown hair in the car would help them find the killer. Two years later, still no arrest, Michael Warren and Sheila Keen ran off to Las Vegas and got married. She took his last name and they moved to Abingdon, Virginia, where everybody knew her under her new name, Debbie. <clears throat> yeah, I see the look on your face. For the next 13 years, Michael and Sheila Warren ran the Purple Cow, a drive-thru restaurant in Kingsport, Tennessee, where they lived in a quiet cul-de-sac, in addition to their lakefront home in Abingdon. That's about 45 minutes between the two. They spent weekends at their lake home, and I'm not sure what year this photo was taken, but the Sun Sentinel published a photo of Sheila in a Halloween costume with the Purple Cow. Dressed as a clown? Yeah, she dressed as a clown. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. I was like, that that takes some gumption. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. 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 So in 2014, detectives finally reopened the case. And the reason they could reopen it was because the sheriff's office got a grant And they went back, they re-interviewed all the witnesses, they re-examined their evidence with new technology because, let's face it, between 1990 and 2014, technology for examining DNA, that came a long way. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So all of that extra work to reopen and re-investigate finally came together and tied Sheila to the crime scene. An article in the Palm Beach Post says the evidence was the hair found in the getaway vehicle. So investigators also discovered that Sheila and Michael had possession of that car before Marlene's murder. The car was a rental from a different company that customers mistakenly returned to Michael's car lot. One article I read said the couple who were the last ones to rent that car told detectives they had arrived after hours at the Payless car rental business hoping to leave the car. Finding no employees at the business after hours, they went home, looked at the yellow pages, and called what they thought was payless. Uh-huh. A man who answered the call told them to leave the car with its keys and its visor in front of the lot and someone would get it. So they reluctantly did. 
And when they went back later, the car was gone. They called the number again and the same man acted like he never spoke to them. The next morning, they realized they had called Bargain Motors, not Payless Car Whatever. Uh-huh. The reason was because the yellow page ad for Bargain Motors starts Payless. Uh, okay. The Payless Car Rental Agency had previously sued Michael because of this ad. And an employee told detectives that Michael and Sheila had tricked the couple into leaving the car in the wrong lot as payback for having been sued. So nobody was ever charged with theft of the car. Mm. In 2014, having worked a long, hard time and being ready to just, you know, call it a day, Michael and Sheila retired. They sold their business and it sounds like they were spending more time with their lakefront home. And why would they? I've seen pictures. It was a McMansion. Like, my mm-hmm. house is big. Like, you've been to my house. It's a mm-hmm. big house. It makes my house look small. Oh, so, wow. In an interview with the Sun Sentinel, Michael and Sheila's neighbor, who was the wife of a couple that said they were best friends with Michael and Sheila, mm-hmm. said that they would throw big parties and for people's birthdays and holidays on their boat dock in front of their lakefront home. And they'd hold movie nights in their basement theater room. And that's where Michael and Sheila had their collector's edition pinball machines and Since they retired, Michael and Sheila were just, they were like landscaping and gardening and doing do-it-yourself projects. Like they replaced their boat dock railing and they were just being a lovey-dovey couple. Okay. So nobody had reason to suspect them for anything. And I say Sheila, but this whole time since the move after her marriage to Michael, she was going by Debbie. Okay. So unrelated in 2016, Sheila's first husband, Richard, passed away. So just totally unrelated. Yeah. In 2017, the Marlene Warren case finally reached the grand jury. And the grand jury issued a true bill for first-degree murder. And the, the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office obtained an arrest warrant for Sheila Warren. So on September 26th-ish, 2017, Michael and Sheila were on their way home from a trip to Vermont to visit Sheila's mother, when their Cadillac SUV was pulled over five minutes from their home in Abingdon, Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains near the Tennessee state line, deputies arrested Sheila, who by this time was about 54. She did not resist, and she was being arrested on the side of the road for Marlene's murder, and they took her to jail, where she's still being held without bond. So we're, what, five years later now? Uh-huh. She's still sitting in jail. So... <clears throat> Michael just watched deputies cup his wife and take her away in a patrol car. I just want to give a shout out to the detectives who used the grant to reopen this case because it took almost 30 years. And as you know, we have a lot of cases in our country, cold cases, and some will never be solved. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad for all the people who like the witnesses, everybody who cooperated to make this happen. So retired Sheriff's Detective Bill Williams, who worked with the other investigators on Marlene's homicide, they pressed prosecutors to go forward with an arrest years before 2017, but the assistant state's attorneys always told them to go back and get more evidence. The Mm -hmm. detective, who has now retired, said, you can't blame them for wanting more evidence to build a more solid case. They could have rolled the dice and lost, and then you never could have charged her again. This is true. Although Michael has not been charged, investigators say the investigation is still ongoing, so he's not in the clear yet. They actually re-interviewed him in 2017, according to an article in the Tampa Bay Times, 
And in an interview with ABC's 2020, Michael called Sheila's arrest very serious and unfair. Sheila denies that she killed Marlene and she will not plead guilty. So the same neighbor I mentioned before said, it doesn't seem like the people I know. I feel so warmly toward them. How could someone capable of something like that be so good-hearted and loving? The neighbor said that Michael, who was then 65 years old, which makes him like 70 now, Uh was not doing well with the news of Sheila's arrest, saying that he broke down a few times in a short conversation afterward, and he just gave her a pitiful, really sad, lost look. The next day, Michael told his neighbor that Sheila was innocent, and he choked up trying to talk about it. A landscaper who refused to give his name described Michael and Sheila as extra nice people who always paid him on time. While most people had nothing but good to say about Mike and Sheila, who they knew as Mike and Debbie, one neighbor said that he had a nasty run-in with them and said Michael could have a temper. None of the neighbors knew about Mike and Sheila's association with Marlene's murder. And it sounds like the neighbors really knew nothing about their past at all. So by December 2018... Like many people who served time, Sheila has found the Lord and was baptized behind bars. She enjoys watching America's Got Talent, reads novels by, you know, Daniel Steele, James Patterson, John Grisham, and she sleeps a lot. By March 2019, she's been writing letters, and her letters are all available to the public from the Freedom of Information Act. So in the letter to Michael, within her first couple years of imprisonment, Sheila wrote, God knows I wouldn't hurt anyone or anything. That's not me. And I know the world's still full of evil and wrongdoing, but that's not me. And I pray the world could be a better place for everyone. And the letter also said, I will be glad to get this over with and all behind us. I'm confident my innocence will be proven. Michael has not written to her, but he has had phone conversations and her son visits her. And about prison, Sheila wrote that the guards are so unkind, no compassion at all. And they don't even look in my room half the time to see if I'm alive. She said the food is horrible and she's been losing weight. And one letter said, when I get home, it'll be so hard not to eat everything in sight, but I'm going to be strong and not do it. About the prosecution, Sheila wrote, I feel sad. They're so ready to destroy an innocent person for their own personal gain. Now, normally documents in a pending case like this would not be released, but Sheila's defense attorney is not worried about any new information coming to light in the letters. So So they're available for public reading. So it sounds to me like the defense attorney released them because that's not private letters like that are not something that's covered under the Freedom of Information Act. That's like when you are requesting police records, court records, stuff like that. that, And I can um, see after a trial, but but before the trial, yeah, the, the defense is confident that the letters have no bearing on the trial. Like, she doesn't really write about anything related to the murder, so they're not worried. Gotcha. So, originally, prosecutors had planned to seek the death penalty, but in 2020, they decided they would no longer seek capital punishment. And speaking of the trial, in October 2022, just a month before recording this episode, the trial was postponed once again because prosecutors informed the defense attorneys for Sheila Keene Warren that they had found a clown citing file, which defense attorneys had been demanding. Still, prosecutors have been saying they did not have it, according to a court filing by defense attorneys and the Palm Beach County case. According to the court filing from defense attorneys, the 25-page clown citing file has the names, addresses, or phone numbers of 40 credible sightings of individuals dressed as clowns 
around the same time of the killing, according to an article in the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Defense attorneys asked for delay in the first-degree murder trials scheduled to start the following week as investigating the document would take considerable time and resources. As a result, a jury trial was once again canceled. They've been delaying this thing over and over and over again with cancellations and whatever. And so defense attorneys are also seeking sanctions against prosecutors for failing to disclose evidence to the defendant and asking that Sheila be allowed a pre-trial release from jail as the trial had been delayed at least half a dozen times because she's been in jail for five years and still pleading not guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, if the prosecutors knew that they had that file and just weren't turning it over, then it's a Brady violation. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> so the judge admitted that the prosecution was at fault for this delay. And Sheila's lawyers also want her to be granted pretrial release because they say the case is purely circumstantial. Sheila's lawyer, Greg Rosenfield, wrote in pre-trial court records that Sheila is to presumed to be innocent and she should not be punished and should not have to sit in jail pre-trial because the state repeatedly fails to follow the law. According to reports, a judge has ruled that Sheila should not be freed from jail ahead of her approaching murder trial. And the ruling, the case's judge concluded the prosecutors had sufficient evidence to convict Sheila of the murder and noted the possibility of Sheila being a flight risk, giving her finances. I can see that. Yeah. So another judge wrote in the order, while the court is cognizant of the delays in this case, especially the most recent delays attributable to the state, defendant's pending motion to set conditions of pretrial release is denied. And the new trial is tentatively scheduled for early 2023. Sheila's attorney has said that the evidence includes an interview with a man who allegedly confessed to Marlene's killing, but in an email, he told Fox News that Sheila did not commit the crime, that the defense team would continue to fight, and that Sheila was looking forward to having her day in court. In a series of jailhouse letters made public in 2019, Sheila again reaffirmed her innocence. I just don't understand why we can't get this nightmare over with, she stated in the letter to her mother. Innocent people should not be made to sit in jail this long, waiting on trial to prove they're innocent. So I'm thinking that the interview with the man who confessed is the one who was on death row and was trying to use that as a bargaining chip to get not being, you know, go to the Sounds like it. Yeah. So Marlene's mother, Shirley Twing, who was 87 in 2017, was pleased that the killer had finally been caught. She said, kind of choked me up a bit. Sometimes I feel like crying when I'm talking about it. I had faith. I never gave up, you know? And she thanked investigators for their work. She had no idea that Michael had married their daughter's alleged killer. That NPR article quoted her as saying, he married the killer, son of a gun. She later said, I turned angry when I heard Mike had married Sheila, remembering that that she had killed my daughter and he marries her. There's got to be something there. She said Sheila got away with it for so long that you can't tell her that Michael didn't know. And she said that if there's a hell, she hopes Sheila rots in it. She does not mince words. Marlene's stepfather added that Marlene was a good person and it's just a shame somebody took her away from the family. Nobody deserves that. He's angry that it's taking so long for the trial to happen, even though he understands, but says he won't feel at peace until the jury returns a guilty verdict. And Joe, Marlene's son, who witnessed the shooting. He had dreams of being a pilot and going to college, but the grief and anger surrounding the loss of his mother drove him to substance abuse. He said it was his way of dealing with the anger and animosity because he didn't know if they'd ever find out who killed his mom. 
He has since expressed his happiness that the case has been solved. And he said, I think it took so long to make an arrest because they wanted to make sure they had the right person. He has since moved from Florida to Iowa and has his own construction business. He said the work is a good distraction. And it sounds like he uses the work as a way to avoid substance abuse too, maybe, because he also now works with people struggling with substance abuse. And he says, if I could talk to Sheila, I would tell her that there's still hope for her. And he said, if Sheila asked God for help, she might get it. And it sounds like Sheila wasn't the only one who found religion. Joe's Facebook page is filled with posts that have Bible verses attached and other inspirational quotes written on them. And one post that stood out to me had a quote from George Seville that said, a man who is a master of patience is a master of everything else. And I think Marlene's family has had more than their share of opportunity to be patient. And mm-hmm. I hope that justice can be found soon, whether it was Sheila, whether it was Michael, whether it was some rando clown off that list, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, hope they can, I hope they can find some justice soon. So and yes. We hear more. Hopefully the trial does go forward in early 2023, a few months from now. And hopefully we can hopefully. get an update. Because that poor family is just the waiting. So that is the case of the killer clown. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I um probably on Dateline or 48 yeah. Hours or whatever is where I've seen that story. Yeah. But I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that it was still like the whole conclusion of the case or whatever was still ongoing. Like I assumed, obviously incorrectly, that, you know, it had been wrapped up. Yeah. I had seen an episode on something a while back, like at least a year. Mm -hmm. And then I was flipping through the news headlines, the true crime stuff. And I saw Mm -hmm. that the case was delayed. And that's how I fell into the rabbit hole was, you know, gotcha. and I was like, wow. And I was like, every, every week I was like, okay, I want to do the case of the killer clown, but I know there's more information, which is why this ran so long. Cause there were just so many details. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's not, it's there's, not that yeah. hard for us when we're researching cases to fall down the rabbit hole. Yeah. It's just really not. As you can tell by every time I say, and totally unrelated to this case, but still pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. So definitely yeah. an interesting case. Um, uh, curious to find yeah. out the conclusion if it ever gets to that point. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you would think that at some point, not that I want her to go free, but at some point they either have to do the trial or they have to let her out of jail i mean I you can't just hold somebody in jail indefinitely mm-hmm. without giving them their trial yeah i mean yeah the I trial. i mean you have actual murderers who get out on pre-trial mm-hmm. yeah so but I'm saying not even, I mean, at some point they either have to say, okay, we're moving forward with this or we're going to drop the charges. We're going to give her bail. We're going to do something. Not that I'm advocating for anybody who potentially murdered somebody else mm-hmm. in front of their kid. Um, but 
I I'm not one of those that is hard and fast. Okay. They're accused of this. They're going to sit in jail until we're ready. Like the constitution is there for a reason. And I mean, a, if we're not following it, then I have an issue with that. That's the whole reason we have a justice system. Yeah, I agree. So I agree. So that was very interesting. Hey, True Crime Cafe listeners, this is Becky here. And I had to jump back in because on the day before this episode aired, we learned that Sheila Keen Warren pled guilty to second-degree murder as part of a plea agreement that was also approved by Marlene Warren's family. Now, originally, the state of Florida wanted to execute Sheila Keen Warren, a.k.a. Debbie Warren, and then it was just going to be a life sentence. That's what they were going for. Apparently, Sheila Keen Warren is still proclaiming her innocence, but it sounds like she took the plea deal so that she could do a 12-year sentence instead. And with the six years she's already done in time for good behavior, she could be out within 10 months. So there's a quick update. We don't have these very often, and we're glad to give you a little resolution. Stay caffeinated. And join us next time for another cup of crime.